Let's sing number 66. Number 66. Praise the mountain, it's upon it. 
services and through this week, Lord, that we would seek to do your will above all else. We ask that you would help us to be mindful of our opportunity to reach out to you, Lord, in prayer, and that we would uh, do so uh, as the scripture asks us to without ceasing. We ask that you would comfort our hearts in and, and, and your word and that we would draw closer to you. We ask all these things in your son's most precious name. Amen. Turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 25. Actually, chapter 24. I'm sorry, I'm a, I'm a little ahead of myself here. It's hard for me to not want to get into this. This is the exciting part of Paul's, uh, the, the, well, the book of Acts. And it tells about Paul's um, adventures, I was going to say misadventures, but they were exactly what God intended. <laughs> so they're not misadventures. But uh, let's, I, I want to go back and look. Paul was um, rescued from the unbelieving Jews and sent at, at night by an armed guard to, to Caesarea. They stopped in uh, Antipatris, I think it was. It's a, a little town halfway between Jerusalem and Caesarea. And he was sent by armed guard by Claudius Lysias, the chief captain there at Jerusalem, 
and he sent him to Felix. And when Felix, the governor, uh, read the letter that uh, that Claudius Lysias had sent him, and he agreed to hear Paul's when Paul said that he was from uh, the Tarsus area, Cilicia, and uh, but he said, "I'll wait until these chief, the chief priest and the elders of Jerusalem come up or come down here to Caesarea." And they, the the priest and the elders, hired this uh, orator to speak for them before, you know, because they didn't probably weren't comfortable with speaking to a Roman in the first place. And so they hired this orator that, who was good at saying things in a nice way. And so Tertullius uh, made their accusations against Paul before Felix. Um, the the accusations that were laid to Paul's charge were not true. They were false charges. And they couldn't prove any of it. And as we go into uh, at chapter 24 here, Paul denies these accusations. He's, he tells of his innocence. Uh, we'll begin reading there in chapter 24. Yes, and after five days, Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders with a certain orator named Tertullius, who informed the governor against Paul. And when he was called forth, Tertullius began to accuse him, saying, seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation, by thy providence. He's buttering buttering him up here. He says, And we accept it always, and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. The Jews didn't really accept that. They they weren't thankful for the Roman government. <laughs> Notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldest hear us of thy clemency a few words. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition among the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. I don't even know if there was a sect of the Nazarenes. <laughs> but they were... Uh, accusing him of making him look bad. Who also had gone about to profane, or to, to desecrate the temple, whom we took and would have judged according to our law. By the way, the, the, Rome, or the Jewish law would not have allowed them to kill Paul, which is what they intended to do. So, but the chief captain, Lysias, 
came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands. Hmm. They rescued him from a mob. They don't, the Jews don't like to think of themselves as being violent people. They just don't, but they were. They were ready to kill Paul for having preached the gospel. And the resurrection of the dead. So, Paul at one point had. Yes. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Paul at one point had shaved his head, took the vow of the Nazarite. Oh, well, the Nazarite and the Nazarene are two different things. Or the Na- Nazarene is what I'm referring to. I think it was the Nazarene is what I'm referring to. Okay. Yes. So it wouldn't surprise me if that's what they were referencing there uh, in this account there in Acts. Uh, it was over, over earlier that we read that. I think, yes, we did. We read that earlier. They, they said, we want you to look good before the Jews. You're, they've heard these things about you, but we want you to take this vow. And, and that's, where the, that's where they found him, was in the temple. Well, he... He goes on in his defense here to tell about that. Uh, And Lysias commanded his accusers to come unto thee, by examining of whom thyself mayest take knowledge of all these things whereof we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, saying that these things were so. So the Jews were lying, as well as Tertullius. But this was the accusation that they were making here. Verse 10 says, Then Paul, after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been many years a judge unto this, peop- unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. He says, because you have experience with the nation of Israel and, and you know, know about us, he says, I, I'm, I'm glad to give answer to you because you understand. Because that thou mayest understand that there are, are yet but 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. He says, it's only been 12 days since I, since I got here to Jerusalem. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues nor in the city. So in none of these places was I creating a tumult. I wasn't uh, stirring up trouble. I wasn't uh, bothering people. He says, I, I, was taking, I had taken a vow, and I was in the temple purifying myself. And this is what Brother Tyler was talking about. He said, Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers. 
believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. They, this idea of allowing, they, they look forward to that. They're looking for that time when the Messiah would come. And so they, they also allowed that there is a resurrection of the dead. Now, the Sadducees said this is oh, somewhere in the future. We don't know anything about that. We, we don't believe in angels and all of that. But the whole nation allowed or, or even looked forward to that time. And herein do I exercise, verse, this is verse 16, herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. He says, I, I pride myself in this. I, I don't want to offend God, certainly, and I don't want to offend men either. He says, that's not the kind of person that I am. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings. Now, he's talking about these years that he spent preaching the gospel throughout the known world there. And he said, now, after so many years, I come bringing alms to my nation. I'm, I'm bringing money that these Gentiles... Now, he doesn't talk about this, but he, this was the gifts that the Gentiles had sent to Jerusalem for those people who were destitute because of the famine that had taken place there. He says, I'm, I'm bringing gifts here. That's, that's why I'm... He said, this is part of the reason I was being uh, sanctified in the temple. Why I, why I took on this. And so he said, now I've come after many years to bring tithes and offerings. Uh, and he says, whereupon, this is at, at the time that I came back, certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor with tumult. Uh, there was no disorder. Uh, they came and they found me there and they made their accusations. He says, and these, these Jews from Asia ought to, be, ought to have been here before thee and object if they had ought against me. If they had any, anything that they wanted to say against me, they should have been here, and they weren't. Those were the Jews from Asia that saw him with the um, Ephesian man and assumed that he had brought him into the temple, which was not allowed under Jewish law. But they they raised a tumult, and uh, they brought a, all this trouble upon Paul by exciting the people there in Jerusalem. And now it's the people of Jer or the scribes and the elders of Jerusalem who are there making the accusations. He says those Jews of Asia should have been here 
and they're not even here. And then he goes on in verse 20, he says, or else <clears throat> let these same here say if they have found any evil doing in me while I stood before the council. He said, they, they ought to say, these, these that are here accusing me should, have, should be the ones saying it if there's a, they have anything. He says, except for this, he says, I, one thing that I did do for this one voice that I cried standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question by you this day. Now you'll recall that when he stood there, he called the chief priest a whitewashed sepulcher. When, when the chief priest told the people standing next to him to, to hit him in the mouth. And uh, he doesn't go into that here in his defense. He doesn't have, didn't have to. He says, but this is the important thing. I was called in question about the resurrection of the dead. And this is what they were all stirred up about. You recall that he saw that there were the Sanhedrin was primarily Sadducees, and many of the others were Pharisees. And he brought up this resurrection of the dead because that's what Jesus that's what he was preaching. Jesus rose from the dead. And this is what he was preaching. He was preaching about Jesus rising from the dead. And the Sadducees did not believe in that. They didn't believe in angels or spirits or the resurrection of the dead. But the Pharisees did. And Paul was a Pharisee. And uh, he was raised as a Pharisee. So he says, except for this one thing, I am called in question by you this day. That's what all that tumult was about. That's why. That's how they got all stirred up. And when Felix heard these things, having a more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred, deferred them and said, when Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the utmost, uttermost of your matter. He says, I'm... I'm going to put this off. I'm I'm going to delay your sentencing, Paul, because I I don't understand all of this. This appears to be something that is not any of my business or the Roman government. We we stay out of religious matters. He says it's resurrection of the dead. We don't have anything to do with that. And so he says I'll 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 wait until Lysias the chief captain from Jerusalem, comes down here. Well, I don't know how long Lysias took to do that. He wasn't scheduled to come down. He, he had a job to do there in Jerusalem. <clears throat> so Felix uh, commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come to him. He says, okay, we'll, we'll keep you in, not in prison, but we'll just we'll chain you to a 
a Roman soldier here and you're not going anywhere. We're going to keep you here. But your friends can come and minister to you and, and you, you'll have liberty to come and go as long as you take this Roman soldier with you. So here he was um, kept in, in incarceration. He was, but it was, uh, he was given liberty, the freedom to have his friends come and to administer it to him. And, and he, it turns out that he was preaching here during this time to anyone who would hear. And people could come to him, and and he taught them during this time. Um, let, we'll, we'll see this here in the next verse. Verse 24. And after certain days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Notice this. This was Felix who sent for Paul to find out about the resurrection of the dead, of Jesus Christ, and what, what this was all about, this, this way. And his wife was a Jewess. She was uh, from the Jewish stock. Her name was Drusilla. And... They sent for Paul to hear about salvation. Now, they, they weren't understanding that at the time, but they wanted to know more about what this was. Even Felix here wanted to know more about this. And he reasoned, Paul, this is talking, verse 25 says, this is concerning Paul, by the way, as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Felix was terrified by the message that he heard, that God is a God of judgment. Uh, and he expects righteousness. And for people to be temperate, which Felix was not, by the way. He understood that. And he understood that God expected that of him. And that God would come in judgment. And it scared the daylights out of Felix. To tell you the truth, he was afraid. He trembled. And I think that many people in this world don't know about God's expectation of righteousness. They don't understand that he's coming to judge the world. They don't understand temperance. They say, oh, we'll, we'll just do whatever we want. No. You restrain yourself. Now, temperance is self-control. This is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And this is what God expects of us as human beings, all, all human beings. It's not just the church. This, this is the, these are the things that God wants. And this is what 
Paul was preaching to Felix and to Drusilla. When they asked, they came asking him. And he laid it right out and and it scared Felix because he realized that what Paul was preaching was God's word. So Felix trembled and answered, go thy way for this time. He said, you, you take this away. I, I don't want to hear it right now. <laughs> he didn't want to hear it at all. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Well, he didn't have a convenient season. He didn't get one, as you might expect. He, it, this was not a convenient thing for him to hear. It was an inconvenient truth in Felix's mind. There was also a little bit of graft and greed involved here. In verse 26, it says, he hoped also that money should have been given to him of Paul, that he might loose him. Wherefore he sent him the sent for him the oftener, and communed with him. He, he called Paul in here several times, many said, looks like it says many times. But I'm sure that Paul preached the same gospel every single time. He didn't give Felix money which Felix hoped he would, you know, he, he, he bribed me a little bit and I'll turn you loose. <laughs> That's the idea here. He says, you could, you could be a free man. What would have happened to Paul if he had been a free man to go anywhere he wanted to? Those Jews would have found him, wouldn't they, and killed him. He was under protective custody here. Why would he, why would he pay to get turned loose to be killed. Andy, you have something? <laughs> well, he did. <laughs> yes. No. We we all can plead guilty there. We're all human. Right. Because people are afraid of 
change that it would bring in their hearts and lives. I mean, everybody's still stretching the truth and have a little, having a little graft here and there or thinking that they can do whatever they like and God, God understands, you know. But when you put the real message out there, you get the same reaction that we have right here in front of us. In the yeah, another day. Another day. Oop, this is right. serious. Human nature hasn't changed. You know, yes, yes. I think we need to look at and some other things that Paul has said in other places in the gospel. You know, Paul Paul realized that he had to keep his body under subjection too. It's not necessarily his body, but keep his spirit, his human nature under control. He had he he real he said that that I would do I do not and that that I would not that that I do he said I I find myself having to keep myself under subjection to God but that is for you and I as well we need to keep ourselves under subjection to God because we still are in this fleshly body and the flesh strives against the spirit still. So we can't just say, oh, those, those Jews or, the, or, or those people over there or, or Felix or, or anybody else. No. It starts right here with me. And we each need to realize that. Paul did. He said, I find myself doing things that I don't want to do. And I, I have to keep my body under subjection. 
People don't want to hear that. Nobody wants to say, well, I have to limit myself. But self-control, which, which is this temperance that, that Paul was preaching here to Felix and Drusilla, that is exactly what he was talking about here. That's, I'm sure he didn't stop there. I'm sure that Paul's message went far beyond that. And Felix called him back in, hoping he would bribe him to let him go. But I'm sure that Paul preached to him every time. And I think we need to realize that that's what we need to do for us, to ourselves. And, and look, go to God's word and see what God wants for my life. Not what I want for my life. And let God change us into what we should be, what he wants us to be. So here Felix was hoping that Paul would pay him off to let him go. And Paul could have, but that wasn't God's will. He says, but after, notice this, verse 27 says, but after two years, after two years, Paul was still in prison for two years. Notice that? After two years, he says, uh, but a more convenient time. I'll... Wait a minute. Paul was an innocent man, and he was kept in, in incarceration here for two years. After two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. What does it mean that uh, Portius Festus came into Felix's room? He took his place. Portius Festus took Felix's place. He was, uh, he was given that title. He took over uh, Felix's title. So here Portius Festus came in and was put in his, his in Festus's place, but Festus, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound in prison. He was still still a prisoner. So this is the end of this chapter. Any I. And we'll stop there. And believe it or not, we're a little bit early this time. <laughs> but I think we need to realize that the gospel convicts hearts. It ought to be convicting ours daily. Paul was convicted when he said that things that I would do, I do not, and the things that I would not, that I find myself doing. This is human nature. We all still have it. God didn't take that away, but he gave us the opportunity to participate in the nature of God. And that is something that we need to treasure. Learn, learn to put aside the, the things that we want, that, that, our, that our human nature would want us to, to do or to have or to say. 
and say the things that God wants us to say instead. All right, any, any other comments? If not, we'll stop right there and take a break. And... So, the, per- the subject of prayer is very vast and it's covered quite a bit in the scripture. Uh, although it is typically not something we, we kind of glaze over in our, in our discussions and in our study, prayer is a very integral part of our service like we talked about. It is part of our communication with God um, in which most of the time we petition for help for ourselves and for others um, as well as for direction. There are a few things that are mentioned in the scripture regarding prayer. Traditionally, we look at this chapter over in Luke 11 as the model prayer. As that the disciples were asking for Jesus how to pray, just as John taught his disciples. One of the things here that he he mentions is just a few bits in this model prayer that they like to call it. Of, of things that we should probably look for in our prayers and the things that that the scripture talks about regarding what the Lord does for us. So we'll read here, beginning in Luke chapter 11, we'll start there in verse 1. It says, And it came about while he was praying in a certain place, <clears throat> after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Stop there for just a moment. This passage is a little bit shorter than the account in Matthew reads. um, Although we won't take time to turn over there today. Um. But it is a shorter somewhat transcription of what transpired here. We all know each of the Gospels had just a little bit different of a delivery regarding the account of Jesus and the Gospel. But it still doesn't lose its, its intent and its meaning there. Brother Luke here just had a bit of a different delivery in his uh, account of the Gospel. So again here, Jesus, they ask him to, to, show, to teach them how to pray just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus' response was this. Well, he says, Father, hallowed be thy name. What does hallowed mean? Hallowed means holy. Sacred. He goes on there, be, uh, be thy name, Father. And he goes on, he says, thy kingdom come. The word for kingdom there which I thought was pretty interesting. I've never looked at that word there in this account. And the Greek was bacilli. Now, sound familiar? You hear something called a basilica or something like that? That word roughly translates to realm or kingdom. So, hence we, he put the word kingdom there. He says, give us each day our daily bread. So he says, hallowed be your name, Father. Your kingdom, what? Hasten your kingdom. Let it come. He says, and give us each day our daily bread. Jesus here was acknowledging the Lord's provision daily for what he provides, food, things like that. 
We may think we provide those things for ourselves, but the Lord provides those things for us as we have need. And he says, and forgive us of our sins. It's an interesting thought. A man without sin asking for him to get forgive us of sins. Forgive us of our sins. Why do you think that's so? Well, Jesus took the place for our sins. Notice he says our sins. He doesn't say your sins or my sins. He says our sins. I think it's a very important to draw a distinction there in that passage of Scripture and what it says. If we're reckoned in Christ, the same thing there. He's asking forgiveness for our sins. Was it not Christ that covered, covered our sins with his blood? He says, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. There's something that's a novel thought that we don't hold in today's society much. It's forgiving others that have debts to us. We typically will take that and score it and keep track of it in the back of our minds. That's just part of what the flesh does. But that is not what we're supposed to do. And he says, And lead us not into temptation. What is temptation? The scripture talks about in temptation someone's led away, right? Let us not be, lead us not into temptation. The Lord provides a means of escape. The scripture testifies to that as well. When we're tempted, aren't we? He provides a means of escape for us. So what Jesus was talking about here was not a novel concept. But today, it's easy for us to just sweep over this and go, oh, Jesus was praying, he was, and he was teaching them to pray. This wasn't exactly what they needed to say every time they prayed. But it was to teach them somewhat of what our prayer should contain. In other passages of Scripture, they talk about being thankful and giving of thanks. That's part of it. But Jesus acknowledged something here that I think was far more pressing. He goes on there in verse 5, he says, And he said to them, Suppose one of you shall have a friend, and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he shall answer and say, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut. My children and I are in bed. And I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find it. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Now suppose one of you, your fathers is asked by his son for a fish, and he will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? And I failed to mention this this morning, but I am reading out of a different translation. For study, for purpose of study, I figured everybody did. I'm reading out of the New American Standard Version, which 
from the Greek, it typically translated as per the Greek original context had. So it flips some of the context of the verse. Um, the intent, the meaning behind it is still there, but it's good for me to cover that just so you're not are caught unawares beforehand. So I apologize for that. But the context of the scripture shares something very important here. He says, suppose one of you, uh, one of you shall have a friend and he'll come to you at midnight and ask for him to lend you three loaves. Mind you, it's after not, it's after dark, it's after bedtime. And of course, at that particular time, they didn't have modern electricity like us, so put that in perspective. So they went to bed. When it was dark, it was time to go to bed. And the friend says, I've got a friend that's come. He says, will you lend me this stuff? And what does the friend say? He says, no, I'm in bed. My children are in bed. But the friend still persists, and guess what? He goes to provide it to him, doesn't he? Well, I struggled for years with this passage of Scripture to figure out what he's talking about here. He's not changing subjects. He's talking, he's providing somewhat of a parable there as that the friend that's being petitioned that's already in bed is the Lord, and the person coming to the door is not prepared for their visitor, right? What is he asking for? He's asking for aid. He's asking for assistance because he didn't have enough to provide for his visitor. So he went and petitioned his friend to say, I need some food. I need something for my house to provide. And rather than tell him no, as he petitioned him, he provided for him, didn't he? Sometimes that uh, when we pray for things, the Lord doesn't provide them right away, does he? We petition. We continue to petition the Lord for his deliverance or for his provision of something. The message there is that the Lord does provide to us. We just need to keep seeking. It's good. How diligent are we going to be to seek the Lord's will in these things? It's funny, it seems like he changes, changes gears there in verse 9. He says, I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find it. Knock and it shall be opened to you. Persistence and diligence is something that's to be named among us, isn't it? We, talk about, we talked about faithfulness, a couple, what, two Sundays ago? What our definition of faithfulness is? We entrust somebody with something. They provide for us, right? It's not like the flesh and people providing. It's the Lord provides something far more lasting and better. And it may not be exactly what most people in the flesh find to fulfill their needs right now. But the purpose is for us to ask, petition. One of the words over there in the uh, in the. Greek is called, and I'm going to botch this to you, I'm not a Greek person, but it's in Texas, which is intercession or, or prayer, interceding on someone's behalf. Praying for someone else on, on, on their behalf. We pray for one another. We petition for help for one another. Paul mentions this throughout the, the, the accounts there, the epistles he's written to the churches in Asia. Why? Because that's what it's designed to be. We not only rely on the Lord, but we rely on one another, don't we? And sometimes 
We don't know how to ask for those things. So somebody praying on our behalf. Scripture talks about the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Why is that? Because when the Lord's people pray for something, he hears them. He provides for them as they have need. So again here, he says he he demonstrates his friend petitioning at night for these provisions that was unprepared. We're that person that needs provision. We need deliverance. We need understanding. And how to provide for one another. How do we do that? By petitioning the Lord. I could better provide for you all by praying for what I, the Lord to open my eyes to see the needs that you have. As a pastor and as a brother in Christ, that's, that's what the Lord asks of us. Not to mention that those that need to be a part of the church and become part of Christ, we pray for them, don't we, on their behalf. Maybe that the Lord will provide clarity and conviction for them so that they might see that the only life that they can have is in Christ. And that ask is not just to ask one time, but it's to plead for it. This is not something that's provided to the world, but it only is provided to those in Christ. After all, this book was written for who? His people. Of course, the scripture does say it's, he desires that none should, what? What's the scripture say? What's that in? Perish. Perish. But what? That all should come to the knowledge, right? That's our duty, is to do his work, right? We're to be his hands and feet. Because we love the Lord. We desire to please the Lord. We desire to do what he asked us to do. That's what the apostles did. That's what the disciples did. They went out into the world and they preached to these people. They talked to them. They demonstrated a life. Not just in word, but in deed. But they prayed for it too, didn't they? That was the observation Christ was making for them there in that, in that model prayer. Your kingdom come. We get just a little picture of the kingdom together when we come together here. That should excite us to get up when we're, when we're able to gather together for services. Or when we get together at each other's homes or as we're going about our daily lives out in the world that we have that with us, right? Let's look at Luke 18. Luke 18 and verse 1. He says, Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Saying there is a certain judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. And there was a widow in the city and she kept coming to him saying, 
Give me legal protection for my opponent. And for a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because of this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, lest by continually coming she wears me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now shall not God bring about justice for his elect, who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So again, here we have Jesus teaching regarding prayer, and he uses this parable. He talks about this certain unrighteous judge, and he talks about a woman to, that comes to him seeking, seeking legal protection, seeking deliverance from her, her problems. And what did the judge say? He says, it was Jesus said here about the judge. He says, and while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because of this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, lest by continually coming she wears me out. He was like, I don't want to keep hearing this woman come to me daily and wearing me out, petitioning me to help figure out what, what protection she needs. But he says, I know she's going to keep coming to me until I finally just wear out. The What's the demonstration there? Christ is trying to tell us that we need to petition. Praying about something is not just like a one-time ask and the Lord just, you know, snaps his fingers and it's done. It's not like uh, TV, TV uh, indicates a genie where we, Make a wish and it comes true, right? But the Lord de desires that we lean on him. It's not that he is some genie that we can just go, oh, give us what we want. No, it's the, the desire here is from the Lord is that we have a desire of a pure heart to call on him. Through Christ, who is our mediator, that he might provide our protection. It's the petitioning of the elect before God. Even if a judge before men's laws would hear a petition of a woman that would come to him continually, how much more so will God, who hears our petition and our prayer, provide for us? That's the, that's the point of that parable there he's trying to get across is hey come to me share these things with me rely on me I'll provide it not saying that we can't ask for help from one another or things like that that's what the church is is to help one another but it's not just about providing the physical. It's about providing the spiritual as well. And sometimes the mental. <laughs> Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2.
1 Timothy chapter 2. We'll start there in verse 1. He says, First of all, then I urge entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. Notice he doesn't say some men or the church. He says all men. For kings and all who are in authority and order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There we go. It's a little bit different of a reading there, but the intent's still the same. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, and that man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony born at a proper time. And for this I am appointed a preacher and an apostle, and I am telling you that I am not lying as a teacher of the Gentiles in the faith and truth. Therefore I want all men in every place praying, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. So again, here you have Paul writing to Brother Timothy, a young preacher. And he says what? First of all, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. So, Prayer, supplication. Then what else? That word there, petition, means dasis, which means expressing need. So expressing a need. What's our need? We need the Lord, don't we? We need the Lord to change our hearts and our minds. We also need to give thanks to him as well. I know particularly, and I, I'm saying this to myself, most of the time I bring all my needs, all of my desires to the Lord, I typically tend to put the thanks on the back burner. But the reminder of Scripture is, is that we bring thanks to Him for all, for all these things that He provides for us. The scripture talks about over in the Psalms about counting our blessings. The song says, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your many blessings, see what God has done. Because one of them. I don't know if I got her or not. What do you know, dinner and the show? Where was I? <laughs> so he says there. We were talking about thanks. I'm thankful I can actually run after her. <laughs> oh, I'm thankful she can talk and she can move around. <laughs> oh, but being thankful for those things, giving of thanks, we can also give thanks for our trials as well. The testing, the things that temper our faith or show us what our faith is made of. Do you think that that's some of the thought that Brother Paul had in some of his ordeals? Absolutely. You think that's how some of those Old Testament patriarchs felt too? Absolutely. 
even though there was quite, there's been quite a bit of hardships in our lives and our service, Lord, it's not as bad as some of these brethren had in accounts in the Scripture. Or some of the brethren that we know that are in ministry are serving overseas. Places like Nepal, where Brother Manoj Poon is. I had the benefit of talking to him and getting a little bit of a window into what goes on in Nepal. Nepal is a heavy Hindu country. And they claim to be a very peaceful people. But Brother Manoj has been doused with gasoline and threatened to be burned. He's been kidnapped. He's been hauled through legal proceedings in court, threatened with imprisonment, just for preaching. What threat of that is to, to the Hindus? Threatens their livelihood. Threatens their people and their way of life. Because they know it's the one true and living gospel, isn't it? It doesn't fall to some idol or something that can't provide your needs. It would take away those monks or those priests over there, their ability to live, right? Because they feel threatened by God. But Brother Manoj says, you know, it's painful. We have to meet in secret. We get to meet, but we have to meet in secret. The government took his property and paved a road right through the middle of it because he had enemies. They took his property from him by putting a road right through the middle of his property. No, And no telling how many countless people lost their homes with that road coming through as well. He showed us pictures. But yet, nonetheless, he still persists. And Brother Manoj attributed that to the example in Scripture. He's like, I, I, I've got to keep going. I can't give up. He says, my brethren depend on me. And he says, people need us. It's probably why there's more than 20-something churches over there right now. There's 24 that they that the work over there has set out to do and establish that the Lord has worked through them to put out there. They've moved down into India, I think, now as they've got a few churches there. Um, we'll have more time to share that later. But but it's it's a good present-day example of just what endurance and what calling on the Lord to provide for our needs is. Taking care of one another, whatever the need is. But the demonstration is here is in what Paul is talking to Timothy about is about calling to prayer, that we need to pray. Who provides those things? God does. It's certainly not us. Who provided the man in the wilderness for, for Israel when they were leaving Egypt? God did. When they got sick of the manna, what did they do? They asked for quail. And he's like, I'm going to give you quail and I'm going to make you sick off of it. He gave them what they wanted. It wasn't what they needed. Same thing. They asked for a king. Lord, we want a king just like these other nations do. He's like, no, I'm your king. Let me take care of you. Let me rule you. No, we want a king just like the rest of these people. All right, I'm going to give you a king. And what happened? He didn't last very long, did he? His rulership didn't last very long, especially when he went, went when he turned away from the Lord there and done what he wanted to. He took the spools after he was told not to and what exactly he did there. 
And the Lord said, all right, this day you've disobeyed me, I'm going to give the kingdom to someone else. It took years for that to take place. But the process was already in motion. How much more could we trust the Lord that he's taking care of our needs and he is providing for us a way not only to provide for us, but also to provide for growth. We ask for spiritual growth as a church. Some people ask for numbers. That's a good thing to ask for numbers, but we need to grow spiritually first so we can show others how to grow, right? Teach others how to grow. Which is exactly what Jesus taught over there and what Paul was teaching here was he's teaching them about praying, importance of prayer. He goes on there, pray on behalf of all men. We bring prayer requests to people that we come we come in, in contact with in our lives. Because why? They need prayer just as much as we do. He says, for kings and all those who are in authority in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life and all godliness and dignity. Absolutely. We enjoy great freedom to serve our God here, although that's changing quite quickly, it seems. As the days move on, we see more people becoming enthralled in scandal and issues. Uh, I think it was this week alone I read two articles, one about the Southern Baptist Convention and one about the Mormon Church. Both have sexual assault scandals going on right now. One was that the Mormon Church, anybody that was subject to sexual assault, what happened? They were to call a hotline. It was funneled to the church's lawyers, and they would snuff it out rather than look at it and take it at face value. Is that how the world works? It's certainly not how the Lord works. Or paying hush money to families just to keep it quiet because a pastor or a preacher in their church had inappropriate relationships with someone. That's not the way the church works either. But what is it given pause, pause to? It's given pause for our enemies to defame the name of the Lord and say, hmm, what a true and living God that is, isn't it? What are they following after? Scripture talks about people falling after the gods of their bellies. Or what? Or God. Not in so many words, but... That is why we have to bring our A-game. We have to pray to the Lord. We have to seek His guidance. We have to study the Word continually. We have to encourage one another. Because if not... Somebody else else out there is going to give us a bad name through what they do in the name of the Lord. So we have much to pray for. So it makes sense for us to pray for our leaders and to pray for those other ones that were mentioned there that have authority so that we can lead that life that we're supposed to lead. Peaceful, tranquil. God, he says, with all in all godliness and dignity. he goes on there. He makes their statement. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God and our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. But instances like we just mentioned, what does that give an opportunity for? Blaspheme the name of the Lord, doesn't it? I had a conversation with a, with a woman who told me in recent history who told me she's done with church because there's a lot of hypocrites. That about broke my heart. I'm like, you haven't seen all of them. 
Why don't you come and why why don't you come and 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 find or seek someone else out? Seek 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 the truth. Come join us. Come visit us. You might have an opportunity to see that the Lord is good still. And that yes, there are churches that have hypocrites and have people that claim to be this. Put that at the feet of Jesus and let him take care of it. Let him lead you and show you where where you would he would have you to be. But we have a lot of people following after. When they get hurt, they follow after what? Well, I've been done wrong. I'm just going to go go on and not serve the Lord. The church failed in that point, didn't they? Because they didn't go and they didn't comfort and they didn't correct the actions. We're called to be a separate and holy people after what fashion after his after the likeness of what Christ right he goes on there he says for there is one God and one mediator also between God and men and the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all and testimony born in the, at the proper time there's the mediator we were talking about who do we have access to God through Christ What is Jesus Christ? He's the cornerstone of the church. He established the church, didn't he? And through Christ, we have access to the Lord. It would be silly of us not to pray to him. The person that can provide and help us and get us through the difficult times that we face on this earth. Paul goes on, he says, For I was appointed a preacher and apostle, and I am telling the truth, and I am not lying, as a teacher of the Gentiles in the faith and truth. Therefore I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. He says, I've been appointed to do this. We've been appointed to do this work, haven't we? He says, I was appointed a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. I was going out and doing these things, not for my own good, but for the sake of the Lord, because he called me to do it. He was merciful to Paul and pulled him out of what he was in. He was persecuting the church and gave him a life, didn't he? Paul just said, Paul basically uh, uh, alluded to the fact that I thought I had life before, but I really have life now. He says, therefore I want the men in every place to pray lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. We like to place limitations on our prayers. Don't we? Brother, Brother Jim Jordan, I don't, most of you probably don't know him. You may know his name because I've mentioned it. but Brother Jim Jordan, one of the things that he says that really just got to me, and I didn't know him until the last probably six years, he says, we need to hit our knees. How often do we hit our knees, really, and petition the Lord? Most of the time we pray to the Lord sitting around the dinner table. Sometimes we pray before we open our Bibles. And sometimes we pray when we put our children to bed. Scripture instructs us to pray without ceasing. doesn't mean that we have to always always stop and bow our heads and get down but he says pray without ceasing petition the Lord ask for these things direction for guidance for understanding his intention here was that in every place to pray lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension put those things away from us 
and petition the Lord for guidance and understanding. The instruction Paul wanted to impart to Timothy here was this is important. Why do you think he addressed it in the second chapter of this epistle to him? It's because it was important. Without prayer, we're weakened greatly. We can't, we can't go through our service to the Lord and not offer up prayer. Christ himself prayed to the Lord and he was the son of God. So what's the expectation for us? Our prayer is our petition for help and for aid and support, for comfort, for guidance. And who does the Lord send to support that? He sends the spirit which he's given to the church. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6 and we'll come to a close. Ephesians chapter 6. We briefly covered this last week as well, but it felt it very apt to close out with this. Starting in verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 6. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf, and utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mysteries of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, and that I proclaim, proclaiming it, may speak boldly as I ought to speak but that you may know all my circumstances and how in doing Titus, the beloved brethren and faithful minister in the Lord, will, ta- will make everything known to you. For I have sent to him, him to you for the very purpose that you may know about us, that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all and those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love uncorruptible. The message from here, of course, after we're reading about putting on the armor of God there, verses 10 down through 16 there, 17 there, prior to what we were reading, was instruction of how we're to be putting on the things that provide protection in the Lord daily for our spiritual protection and that our life may be fuller and yet more guarded in the Lord. Those things aren't ours. They're the Lord's. We have to put them on consciously every day. How is it sealed on us each day? Through prayer, I would think. If I don't put Teflon on the end of that plumbing there on my shower head, when I go to screw a new shower head on, what happens? It's going to leak at some point, isn't it? The Teflon helps to kind of keep the, 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 the good stuff from getting out of shooting it through the shower head so I can take a, we can take a shower, right? I think of that too like prayer. In our prayer, praying to the Lord, it seals up our armor, doesn't it? It helps to reinforce it. But what Paul here was asking them, he says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. With this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. 
with the Spirit. Petitioning. Asking for. Being constant. Pushing forward. Persevering. But making requests on behalf of our brethren. Whether present with us in our local assembly or elsewhere. Even if we don't know them. I think that's implied there. He says, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given unto me to open my mouth. Ooh. Paul's asking for somebody to pray for him to open his mouth and say the things, what, of the gospel, right? We ask for the Lord to give us the words to speak when we speak to individuals, or at least we should. Let's remember that our prayers are important. They have power, especially coming from the Lord. Paul goes on there. He says, For I am an ambassador in chains, and I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Of course, we know Paul was in prison here. And that he asked for the, the boldness to continue to speak the word of God. Same thing we asked last week. What are we constrained by? Are we constrained by the Lord? Are we constrained by what? What are we, what are we being held what weighs us down? Our prayers have the ability to petition the Lord to break those chains that are causing us difficulty. Whether spiritual, physical, whether it be illness or illness, sickness, or mental health, the Lord has the power to break those chains. He has the power to increase our strength. That's what the weaponry of prayer is provided for, for our strengthening, for our encouragement. But most importantly, and so that the Lord is glorified. And so that we keep the Lord in the forefront of our minds and our and what we do each day. Because we're not servants of ourselves, we're servants of God. So let us continue to be in prayer for one another and praying for those that are in need of prayer. It's very, very important. You can't worry about the things of this life. I was talking to Sister Jean earlier. And I said, you know, one of the things that we, one of the beauty, beautiful things that we have is we have, we have the Lord. We can't worry about the things that we encounter in this life. We place them on the Lord at the Lord's feet. And he takes care of them for us. We just have to trust that he'll take care of them. Because worrying is not going to do anything to suffice that in our life, is it? It's just going to add more heartache to us. But the Lord can bear us, bear our burdens if we just give them over to him. Because we have that advocacy in Christ. And when Jesus left, when he was when he died and left this world, what happened? He didn't leave us without anything else, did he? He left us with the comfort of the Spirit. Let us not get weighed down by the, by the trivial things of this life or by the weightier things that call us, hold us down. But look to the Lord because he can unburden us of those things. That's all I have for you this morning. And thank you for your kind attention. Five, eight minutes past the hour. I preached a little long today. So, appreciate your kind attention. This time we'll stand to be dismissed.
Encourage us to take the opportunity to pray for one another, publicly and privately. We have a lot to be in prayer about in this life. We can find current comfort and strength in the Lord. This time we'll close in a word of prayer. Brother Tony, would you lead us in a word of prayer and bless the food for us, please? Our Heavenly Father, we come to you today.